All right, well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you here again. We're going to be studying Romans chapter 4 tonight, and this is really a beautiful chapter, so I want to get into this, and then we'll have some time at the end for prayer requests and testimonies. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Wednesday evening that we can come together for Bible study and prayer, and we ask for a special blessing now as we open up your word and we study the faith of Abraham in Romans 4. May it help us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, Romans 4 is one of the beautiful chapters in the book of Romans, and so I'm looking forward to going through this chapter tonight. And we have studied in the first three chapters, if you wanted to summarize the first three chapters, basically the first three chapters teach that all men, Jews and Gentiles, are under condemnation for breaking God's law, and yet all men, Jews and Gentiles, are eligible to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive salvation. And the first three chapters essentially bring home the point that Jews and Gentiles are guilty before God. They're deserving of the wrath of God in the judgment. But yet because of the righteousness of God, it is possible for us as human beings to avoid God's wrath and the judgment by having his righteousness. And so that's obviously good news. Now, there's some other key points that we've seen in these chapters. One is that by the time we get to chapter 3, in verses 10 to 19, Paul describes the condition of the human flesh and the tendency of human flesh to wander from God so that by the time we come to verse 19 he says that all the world may become guilty before God. So then when he gets into the concept of righteousness by faith in verses 21 to 31 the question could be asked well how is it possible to have the experience of righteousness by faith And so Romans chapter 4 is going to answer that question. And the answer to the question is found in the experience of Abraham, known as the faith of Abraham. So what is it about the faith of Abraham that gives us an example? And as we know, Abraham is the father of the faithful. So let's go ahead and get into Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And here the Bible says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So, the first thing, notice what verse 1 says. It says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found. So what's Paul trying to say here? Paul is saying, hey look, 
We know that Abraham was righteous, and yet he had the same flesh that we, we have. You see that? We all have to fight the flesh that is described in Romans 3, verses 10 through 19, and yet so did Abraham. And of course, because Abraham is like every one of us, he sinned. He fell short of the glory of God, and apart from the gospel, he would be guilty before God in the judgment. Therefore, he cannot be justified by works, that's verse 2, because if he were, it would be for his glory and not for God's, and he, because of falling short of God's glory, can never be justified in and of himself. So, Romans chapter 4, <clears throat> verse one and, verses 1 and 2, teach us that Abraham deals with the same flesh that we have to deal with. And when it comes to being justified, it's obviously not by his own works. So, so Abraham is not justified by works because in his flesh he has fallen short of God's glory. He has sinned. Therefore, and I've used the illustration before, once you sin one time, you can keep the law perfectly the rest of your life and you would still be under condemnation if it wasn't for God's grace. So that's what... Paul is saying here. Now verse 3 helps us to understand how Abraham receives righteousness. And and the answer is very clear. It says, for what saith the scripture? And I like how Paul says that. He's like, well, what does the Bible say? How was Abraham considered to be righteous? So Paul isn't really using, he's obviously not using a philosophical argument. He's like, let's see what the scripture says. How is it that Abraham is righteous? And the scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So, this is a key verse in understanding all of righteousness by faith. If you want to understand righteousness by faith, Romans 4 verse 3 describes it for us. And we've talked about this already But here it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And if we go back to Romans chapter 3, we see that the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, is unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So in Romans 3, the righteousness of God is to all who believe. And in Romans 4 verse 3, Abraham believed. So you see that connection there? Righteousness by faith in Romans 3 is to all who believe. Romans 4 verse 3, Abraham believed. And because Abraham believed, it was counted to him for righteousness. Now the question then is, what does it mean to believe? Does it mean that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and because of that you receive eternal salvation no matter what? Or... Does it mean that because you believe in the existence of God that you're counted as righteous? 
And the answer that I would give to both of those is to say, let's stick to the way Paul says things. He says, what says the scripture? So let's see what the scripture says. Now, when Paul says, for what saith the scripture, he gives you the idea that he is quoting from something that's already been written. Does that make sense? He says, what says the scripture? And then he says, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. Now, if you have a, a, a margin or a, a, a center column that gives you cross-references, you will see that Paul is quoting from the book of Genesis when he makes this point about Abraham believing. And this is found in Genesis chapter 15. So let's go to Genesis 15. And the story here is that Abraham is 100 years old. 25 years earlier, God had promised him that he would have a child. Now, if that's not testing your faith, I don't know what is. 25 years, God promises you when you're 75 that you're going to have a child. And then 25 years later, the promise hasn't come to pass. And Abraham, if you, if you look at verses 1 and 2, Abraham basically says, look, um, Eliezer, he's the steward of my house. He can be the heir of my house, and he can be the child that you promised me. And he says, I, ha I don't have a seed, but hey, Eliezer, he can work. He can be my heir. And notice what... Roman, or Genesis 15 verse 4 says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, speaking of Eliezer, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. So now, notice this. It says, The word of the Lord came to him, saying, He that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And notice this. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90. So obviously they're both past childbearing age. And yet the word of the Lord says, you're going to have a child that comes forth from you and Sarah, from your own bowels. So God is saying one thing, and human reality is saying, Abraham and Sarah cannot have a child. They're past childbearing age. Humanly speaking, it is impossible for them to have a new child of themselves at this point in their human experience. But the word of the Lord says, yes, you will. And that's the first point. The word of the Lord says. And then verse 5, God does something else. And he, or God, brought Abraham forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So now what, is, now what does God do? First he says, According to the word of the Lord, you will have a child that comes forth from your own bowels, even though you're past childbearing age. And then he says, Let's come out, Abraham and look up at the sky and count the stars. And obviously, at that time in Earth's history, there were no lights outside to destroy the, the beauty of the stars. So the sky would have been full. 
what is Abraham being reminded of? First, he hears God's word saying he shall have a child, and then God shows him the stars in heaven. What does that remind Abraham of? Yeah, that God is creator. And when Abraham remembers that God is creator, what does he remember about how God creates? In the beginning, God created, and God said, let there be, and there was. And God said, let there be, and there was. And Abraham is thinking, hey, God just said, you will have a child. Now he's showing me all these heavenly bodies by which his words spoke those heavenly bodies into existence. And I can't even count them. And he just said, I'm one human being and my wife Sarah is one human being. And he's just saying that the two of us will have a child. If he can create those stars from zero or nothing into heavenly beings, why can't he take two human beings and create a child with us? And so in verse 6, it says, And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord... And he, or God, counted it to him for righteousness. Now, does that sound familiar or sound the same as Romans 4? It does. It's the same thing. So what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, is he's assuming you understand the background of Genesis 15. And the background of Genesis 15 is Abraham was past childbearing age. It was humanly impossible for him to have a child. But the word of the Lord said he would have a child. And then God took him out and showed him the stars to remind him, hey, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. I created the heavens by, the, by my word. And my word says you will have a child. And Abraham believed. What did he believe? He believed in the creative power of God's word to do what it says. And what was God saying he would do here? God was saying he would create a new birth for Abraham and Sarah, even though, physically speaking, they were dead. They could not create life. And God was doing something very special here. What God was doing was he was using this as an illustration to show that <clears throat> while it may be true that humanly speaking, we, because of the flesh, are dead in trespasses and sins, he is still the creator. And his word still has creative power. So when we by faith believe, as Abraham did, in the creative power of God's word to change our life, the word of God will come into our lives and change us from being dead in sin to being dead to sin and being born again to a new life. Even though, humanly speaking, it's impossible. Humanly speaking, we've sinned, we've come short of the glory of God, therefore we deserve the wrath of God and the judgment. But when we, by faith, believe in the creative power of God's word, that creative power can change our lives and recreate a new life in us. And Abraham believed that. 
he believed in the Lord and God counted it counted it to him for righteousness. Now, here in Romans 4, it just mentions that point in verse 3, but it's going to come back in verses 17 through 25. So, this sort of lays the framework for what it means to believe with respect to righteousness by faith. Believing with respect to righteousness by faith means to believe in the creative power of God's word to change your life and to create something out of nothing. Abraham believed that, and all those who believe as he did will also be counted righteous. And we'll continue on here, picking up in verse 4, Romans chapter 4. Paul is going to develop this thought. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So now this concept of believing and being counted for righteousness comes again. Here we see when we have a true conception of who we are and who God is, we will realize that we cannot work our way to receive righteousness. We can't like pay off a debt and work really hard and say, well, I've sinned a lot, and so now I'm going to work really hard to pay off all that debt. What we have to realize is, is that we need, like Abraham, to believe in the creative power of God to totally change our lives so that when we start a new, so to speak, we're starting with a new life. We're not just continuing on and trying to do good things to make up for the past. We're starting a completely new life. And it says, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Same as Abraham. And then verse 6, Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying... Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now it's interesting, verse 7 of Romans 4 is cited from Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. And if you go to Psalms chapter 32, verses 1 and 2, this is David speaking, and he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and, whose, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So do you see that there? When God imputes righteousness to someone who believes, when that righteousness is imputed, God also says there is no guile in that person. And Paul is making reference to that here in Romans 4. It's interesting that one of the characteristics of the 144,000, it says that in their mouth was found no guile. So clearly these people have had righteousness imputed to them. And it also gives us the idea that having righteousness imputed to us involves more than just an outward covering. In Psalms 32, it talks about how you have no guile, which is an inward um, issue. Paul in Romans 4 right now is emphasizing forgiveness and covering of sin. 
being counted righteous, having righteousness imputed to us. But he is making that point with the assumption that you understand from Psalms 32 that when you have righteousness imputed to you, when you have righteousness counted to you, when your sins are forgiven, that you also have no guile within you. And that's an assumption he's making. In verse 8 he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So obviously there is a blessing when we have been forgiven, when we have been justified so that the Lord does not impute sin to us. Now Paul then makes a transition here and he comes back to Abraham. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this evening on the concept of how Abraham received righteousness. So verse 9, he says, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? And remember, Paul is writing the book of Romans to prove that the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles and that the wrath of God is also for Jews and Gentiles for those who do not obey or follow God. So he's saying, are those who are justified, does it only come to those who are circumcised or those who are uncircumcised? Then he makes, he's asking a question and you kind of know what he's going to say next. He says, for we say that faith was reckoned to righteousness, reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. And the word reckoned is the same thing as counted. And then verse 10, he says, how was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Now, this is an interesting question to ask a Jew. Because Abraham is the father of the Jews. And Paul is saying, hey, you know, remember back in Genesis 15 when it says Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness? Was he circumcised when that happened or was he uncircumcised when God said he was righteous? And any Jew reading this passage would say, oh, good question, Paul, good point. Yeah, he was uncircumcised and God said he was righteous. So Paul's using this to make a clear point. So the end of verse 10, he says, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. So what Paul is making making very clear here is that, look, Abraham, he's the father of the faithful. He was counted as righteous when he was uncircumcised. And all those who, like Abraham, are physically uncircumcised now can still spiritually be circumcised and receive righteousness as Abraham did. This message is not just for the Jews, it's for the whole world. And so that's part of the good news of the gospel. Verse 11 continues, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet, being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So, couple of interesting points here. Abraham received the sign of circumcision, even though he wasn't circumcised, which is a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had when he was uncircumcised. And it's interesting, as Adventists, we use Romans 4, verse 11, to show how the Sabbath is the seal of God, because we show how the, that the words sign and seal are synonymous here. And in Ezekiel 20, the Sabbath is a sign throughout all generations. So this happens to be a Bible verse that we use to prove that the seal of God is the Sabbath, but Paul is using, is primarily using this verse, and by the way, I would recommend to use this verse, but Paul is using this verse to show 
what it means to receive righteousness by faith. And <clears throat> righteousness by faith is a sign. It's also a seal that comes when, spiritually speaking, you've been uncircumcised, but yet then you believe and then you're counted as righteous. And it's interesting in Romans chapter 2, verse 26, it talks about how if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. So that's the first time the word counted is used in the book of Romans. So here Abraham is described as being righteous, even though he was uncircumcised. And it's described as a sign or a seal which came through his belief. And it's not just for him, it's for all them that believe, even if they are not circumcised, so that righteousness can be imputed to them. Now, <clears throat> we'll continue on here. Verses 12 through 15 basically make the same point. How Abraham, he's the father of those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised if they believe. And I want to skip down to verse 16. Verse 16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. And verse 17, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now, what we're going to do for the next 12 minutes or so, basically verses 17 through 25, which is the end of the chapter, is basically the meat of the chapter. And this is where Paul says, remember when I said Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness? Now I'm going to use basically nine verses to show you what it means to believe. Now we talked about that by going back to Genesis 15, that Abraham believed that by the word of the Lord he has creative power to change something that's impossible to end into something that's possible. But what Paul is going to do now is he's going to spell it out very clearly so that we understand what it was that Abraham was believing in. And when we understand what it means for Abraham to believe, then we will understand what it means for us to believe in order for us to be counted as righteous. And this is an important point, and it lays the foundation for the rest of the book of Romans with respect to righteousness by faith. So Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So notice here what Abraham believed. He believed in God who quickens the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So here he's believing that God can quicken the dead. So God has resurrecting power. And he can call things into existence that aren't. And he can just say, let there be light, and there's light, even though light never existed before here on earth. That's basically what Paul is saying here. And what's interesting is, when you go to Hebrews 11, it talks about how Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac up from the dead. Now think about this. You learn the story as a little child, Abraham and Isaac go up to the top of the mountain, and the Lord has told Abraham to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. 
and then the ram is provided for it's caught in a thicket and you're thinking well Abraham must have believed that the Lord would have provided a ram in the thicket and and he went by faith and took Isaac up there expecting a ram to show up but in Hebrews 11 Paul says actually Abraham was really going to kill Isaac but because of the promise of God he actually believed because God was creator he would raise Isaac up from the dead so that's the type of faith that Abraham had Abraham knows the voice of God. It's the same voice that called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees. The same voice that told him he would have a child. It's the same voice that tells him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. And so Abraham believes, hey, if God wants to take Isaac's life, he'll raise him back up to fulfill the promise that he made. So this is the type of belief that Abraham has. He believes in God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And then verse 18, who against hope believed in hope so sometimes what god says goes against natural human hope but because the word of the lord said so abraham believed it that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be so because god said your seed will be like the stars in the heaven even though humanly speaking it was impossible abraham believed in what was humanly impossible because god said so and that's why I say when people talk about how it's impossible for certain end time events to take place, it's impossible for a group of people to be fully obedient and to have the faith of Jesus and all those things. My, my comeback to that is you may never have seen it, but I'm going to go with what the word of God says as opposed to what your eyes have seen here on this earth because you're a human being. Abraham had never seen a resurrection. Abraham had never seen people have children after childbearing age. But because the word of the Lord said so, he believed. And if the word of the Lord says that there's going to be a group of people that keep the commandments of God in the face of Jesus, I'm going to believe that over someone who says, well, people just don't live that way. I'm going to take the word of the Lord. And that's the faith that Abraham had. Verse 19, now notice how this continues. It says, and being not weak in faith... So if he was not weak in faith, he clearly was strong in faith. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now I guess this is something that those of us who are married can maybe appreciate more. But notice what Abraham's faith needed to overcome. Not only the deadness of himself but the deadness of Sarah's womb. And because his faith was so strong, the Lord was able to produce fruit through both of them. And obviously, Sarah had to exercise faith as well. But the question is, would Sarah have exercised faith if Abraham hadn't? So here's a practical application. If we expect for our faith to be acceptable in the sight of God, our faith needs to produce fruit in other people. If we can't produce fruit in other people, we're not exercising faith that's sufficient to be counted as righteous. To just say, well, I believe in God that he died for me and then to go out and just live a sinful life and to have let's just say a neutral effect 
on everyone around you. Let's just say your life has no impact whatsoever on anyone else for good or for evil. That goes against what Abraham did, that his faith was so strong that it even produced fruit in the, in the life of Sarah. And then verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, as we're starting to go through these verses, are you seeing that there's more to it than just kind of some abstract belief in something? There's something very active in the, the belief that Abraham had that caused God to count him as righteous. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So Abraham, through his faith, gave glory to God. And you've probably seen this, but in Genesis 22, when Abraham had faith to believe that Isaac would be resurrected from the dead, God said to him, now I know that you truly fear me. So Abraham feared God, and he gave glory to him. So that's a description of someone living out the first angel's message. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And then verse 21 is key. It says, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Or another way to read it, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. So notice the type of belief Abraham has. It's not just some abstract belief. It's being fully persuaded that when God's word says something, God is going to perform what his word says. You see that? Abraham was fully persuaded that God, what God promised, he was able also to perform. And so the question we need to be asking ourselves is, are we fully persuaded in the promises of God? Are we fully persuaded when life gets a little tough? when things start to go in our minds in the wrong direction and humanly speaking, there seems to be no way out. Are we fully persuaded in the word of God? I mean, Abraham had reached the point where he said, hey God, why don't you just take Eliezer, my servant, as, as the heir to the promise so that my seed will be as, as the stars in the heaven. And God says, no, according to the word of the Lord, you will have a child from your own bowels. And Abraham then was reminded that God is creator and his word spoke those heavenly bodies into existence. Therefore, God could do what he had promised. He could do or perform what he had promised. And Abraham became fully persuaded of that. And when Abraham became fully persuaded of it, then God said, you are righteous. And Abraham, his faith was so strong that he didn't consider his own body now dead or the deadness of Sarah's womb. And because of his faith, Isaac was born. And spiritually speaking, we call this a new birth experience. Isaac was born out of two dead bodies that couldn't produce. And it's an illustration of how we who are dead in trespasses and sin 
have a new birth experience when God speaks his creative power into our hearts. He forgives us and he cleanses us from all all unrighteousness and then we become a new creature in Christ. That's why the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, all things are become new. We become a new creature. And unbelief would be to say, well, but is it really possible to put away the old life. Well, according to the word of the Lord, yes, it is. And those who believe, God will count them as righteous and he will empower as righteous. Now, then verse 22. So verse 21 says, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to also perform. Notice verse 22. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. That's justification by faith. In order to be justified by faith, you need to believe in the creative power of God's word to take your life, which is spiritually dead, and to create a new life within you. And when you believe that, w- that because God has promised he will do so, that he will also perform it, when you f- are fully persuaded of that, God will count you righteous and he will do what he promised he will do. And that's justification by faith. And here's the point. In order for Abraham to be counted as righteous, to be justified, he needed to believe that God was creator and that God created the way that he said he did. Six days, rested the seventh. So here's my point. If you're struggling to believe that God created as the Bible said, it's going to be hard to be fully persuaded that God can do what he promises. Because if God can't really create the way that the Bible says he created, how can he really change your life? If he's not powerful enough to create the earth the way he said in his word, by the word of the Lord, how can he speak his word into your life and change your life? He creates a whole different scenario of righteousness by faith. And so what I am saying is it's crucial, it's essential, it's absolutely 100% necessary to believe in God as creator in order to exercise faith to be justified. And that's very important. And if you go back to Romans 1, basically the, the wicked who will receive the wrath of God are those who deny God as creator. Now, we're going to finish the chapter here. And this is where the beauty and the power of the gospel becomes very special and sweet for each one of us. Notice verse 23. And, and Paul, he, I, I could almost hear him preaching this now. He says, Now it was not written for his or Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him. It's not just for Abraham to receive righteousness. Verse 24, But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That's, verses 23 through 25 are probably three of my most favorite verses in the Bible. So Abraham, he's the father of the faithful. But hey, it wasn't just written for him. It was imputed to him, but it shall be imputed to us if we believe also on him, who's this, on God, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now, what's Paul talking about now? 
What's the significance of believing on God who raised up Jesus from the dead? Is there a comparison to what Abraham believed in? Okay, Abraham believed that God is creator and by his word, he can create something out of nothing. What we are believing, it's the same as Abraham, it's just a different side of the same coin. We are believing in God who raised up Jesus from the dead. So we're believing in someone who has resurrecting power. And then verse 25 says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. If you jump ahead to Romans 6, if you study Romans 6, you see in verse 4, it says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So notice this. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus from the dead, righteousness will be imputed to us also. What's the point of believing on him that raised up Jesus from the dead? That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So what are we believing? When we believe to be counted righteous, we're believing that as Christ was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead spiritually to live a new life. It won't be I'm going to be covered with Christ's righteousness and continue to sin the way I always have. No, a death takes place just as Christ died. And when we are raised up by faith, it's a new life. It's not the same old life that's covered with a robe that keeps on sinning. And so inside we're still sinning the same we always had. And outside we sort of have this covering that keeps us covered till the second coming. What Paul is saying is, look, Abraham believed in something that could create a new life. We believe in God who creates a new life. And it's the same thing. Abraham, it was imputed for righteousness to him. And it's imputed to righteousness for us if we believe. If we believe that God can give us a new life. And if we believe, that means we're fully persuaded that God will raise us up to walk in newness of life. To have a new life. And we'll talk about that in Romans 6 when Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And we'll show clearly from the Bible that to be dead to sin means to be justified. And that to be justified means to be dead to sin. That to be imputed as righteous means to be dead to sin. It means to walk in newness of life. And so the Bible is going to come alive as we see the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel And the word power, which comes from the Greek word dynamite, means such that it's so explosive and so powerful that it does away with that which is old and creates something totally new that we can't even recognize from before. That's what the power of the gospel does. So as we look at Romans 4, as we look at the faith of Abraham, we see he is the father of the faithful because he gives an example to each one of us. Look, Abraham lived according to the flesh, just like every one of us does. But he was able to believe so that God could count him as righteous and God is able to use him as an example to each one of us that we also can be raised to walk in newness of life. And I know some people may say, well, hey, you know, didn't Abraham like mess up after he believed and God counted him as righteous? 
Yes, he did. That's why Mount Moriah happened and God had to prove him true and faithful once and for all for the world to see that Abraham would have sacrificed Isaac um, as an offering. Um, And that proved that Abraham really was a righteous man. So that's the faith of Abraham. Abraham feared God, he gave glory to him. And those of us who live the way he did can have the same experience. So let's apply this to our lives. God is powerful. God is merciful, gracious, and wonderful. And we can be thankful for the power of the gospel that God can raise us up to walk in newness of life.